Thank you, Chairman Burke, Vice Chairman Huffman, Ranking Member Antonio, and members of the Senate Health, Human Services, and Medicaid Committee for the opportunity to offer sponsored testimony on Senate Concurrent Resolution Number 14, which would make racism a public health crisis in the state of Ohio. Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show! Hey, this is Gabe. This week, we saw testimony on Senate Concurrent Resolution 14, which would declare racism to be a public health crisis in the state of Ohio. The resolution was brought forward by Senators Sandra Williams of Cleveland and Herschel Craig of Columbus. The two senators testified in support of the resolution and then received questions from Senator Tina Maharath of Columbus, Senator Cecil Thomas of Cincinnati, uh, Senator Nikki Antonio of Lakewood. And then we also have testimony from Franklin County Commissioner Kevin Boyce, Columbus City Council Member Priscilla Tyson, uh, and former State Senator Charlita Tavares. The testimony in all was over 10 hours Uh, We're bringing you an excerpt of that. Some of the speeches that you're going to be hearing, we've shortened for length, uh, but not content. This is something that we feel strongly about. You might have seen headlines during the hearing. There were questions uh, using some rather racist language from Senator Steve Huffman uh, of Tip City. His questions got national press Uh, including uh, an article in the Washington Post. He has since, uh, we learned just before uploading this episode, uh, been fired in his day job as an ER doctor from a local hospital. We'll be discussing more on that probably in next week's show. Uh, But for now, we want to focus on the uh, efforts to oppose racism offered by these witnesses, starting with Senator Sandra Williams. I would first like to start off by thanking the young men and women who have been bringing attention to the issues before us in this country today. Racism is not new. It has been in existence for over 400 years when Africans were kidnapped from their villages, placed on cargo ships, and brought to the new world, which we now know as America. Our Constitution provides certain protections to every American, even if you are suspected of a crime. People across America and the world are protesting because Timothy Russell, Melissa Williams, who were shot 137 times by police, Tamir Rice, who was playing with a gun at a rec center, was shot and killed, Breonna Taylor at EMT was served a no-knock warrant, it was the wrong door, and she was killed, Ahmaud Arbery, his crime was jogging in the street, George Floyd, was suspected of giving a $20, a counterfeit $20 bill, and he was killed, and countless others who have been killed at the hands of law enforcement officers who were never given their day in court. The problems we are facing today are not just black problems or just white problems. They are America's problem. I am well aware that the state legislature cannot legislate morality, but we can put in place policies that provide 
recourse for the wrongs that are playing out in our state and in our country. By passing this resolution, we will be sending a strong message to federal and local officials that racist practices will not be tolerated. Not in my backyard, NIMBY, not on my watch, and not in Ohio. There were centuries of legally sanctioned racist laws that were eliminated after the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. However, subtle policies and practices in political, economic, criminal justice, and societal norms have continued to add to structural racism and widen the gap between the well-being of African Americans and white America. We have never been able to close that gap. What follows now is a list of some of the federal policies and practices that have systemically disadvantaged African Americans in this, in this country and helped to contribute to racial inequality. The 1862 Homestead Act granted citizens 160 acres for free if they farmed it for five years. Black people and Native Americans were not considered citizens, therefore not able to participate. Today, there are 46 million Americans who are descendants of Homestead, the Homestead Act beneficiaries. The 1896 Plessy versus Ferguson decision of the United States Supreme Court that upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation laws for public facilities, a doctrine that came known as separate but equal. The 1935 Social Security Act did not extend to farmers and domestic workers. Black Americans were more than twice as likely to be employed as farm or domestic workers. The 1935 National Labor Relations Act failed to disallow unions from engaging in racial discrimination, which enhanced access to jobs and better wages for whites. The 1938 Fair Labor Standards Act excluded domestic and agricultural workers, which consequently provided minimum wage and overtime pay for more white workers than black workers. The 1944 GI Bill was locally administered, which resulted in white veterans having more access to education, skilled job training, and better paying jobs. The 1997 consent decree advantaging white farmers over black farmers in the allocation of price support loans and disaster relief. The result of past laws, among other things, has resulted in the gap, including the gap in wealth. According to the Economic Policy Institute, black workers are 60% more likely to be uninsured than white workers. And most recently, black people make up a larger share of the US COVID-19 deaths. Black Ohioans make up 13% of Ohio's population, yet 23% of COVID-19 cases. Our goal is in introducing this resolution is to have a conversation that leads to positive systemic change for everyone. Racism has adversely and significantly impacted the lives of African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific Islander, Islander Americans, and indigenous people, not only in Ohio, but around the nation. Several studies have shown that racism itself is a social determinant of health and can be lethal. The COVID-19 pandemic and the senseless murder of George Floyd has brought a resurgence of conversation, surround, uh, uh, conversation surrounding the historic and contemporary systemic injustices so deeply embedded in our society that they touch everything from what uh, uh, economic opportunities a person uh, to what zip code they reside in.
During the pandemic, we saw that minorities are disproportionately represented in jobs, uh, consider, considered essential, uh, but have much lower medium wages than their white counterparts. We've seen minorities get cited by police for violating social distancing rules as higher rates than white counterparts. All the while, minority communities are becoming infected and dying from the coronavirus at higher rates due to having higher rates of chronic conditions. Chronic conditions uh, can be directly traced back to slavery, Jim Crow laws, and other racist governmental uh, policies. Senator Maharath. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Senate President, for uh, prioritizing this bill and bringing it to our agenda today. And thank you, bill sponsors, for bringing this legislation. Because um, Ohioans, especially the Asian Americans, are hurting right now from the epidemic. And uh, over in Asian town, uh, over in Cleveland, all their businesses have been suffering way before most of us have. So they've been suffering since February. So I really appreciate this resolution. So uh, my question is actually geared towards Senator Craig. Uh, Senator Craig, uh, I was born and raised in Whitehall, but I was in foster care over on the south side for a short period of time. Uh, so I remember growing up because I used to, at the foster care was uh, across the street from Marion Franklin uh, Rec Center. Growing up, I don't remember seeing any, uh, like, uh, I guess you want to say regular health care providers such as, you know, physician, dentist, et cetera. I only saw probably the closest place was the Grant Medical Center. Nowadays, I do see a lot of nonprofits opening up free clinics, et cetera. But today, at this point, are there any regular medical providers nearby, uh, a five-mile radius on the south side? Uh, through the chair to uh, Senator Mahara, thank you for raising that issue. I think for, for many of us, and I'm glad you, you, you raised that issue with regard to foster care. Uh, and I, I need to, and my daughter didn't ask me to do this, but I need to raise her issue. Uh, my daughter has adopted three children out of the foster care. And I think the challenges that those children have faced is unbelievable. Certainly around the issue of, of health care, of the poverty, uh, they've witnessed so many things. Uh, it's, it, it hurts me to even talk about it. But many of us that have not even imagining what these children have gone through. Senator Thomas. 2001, obviously you all are aware that we had civil unrest in this city of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, uh, I was on the police force uh, prior to the civil unrest. The community exploded as a result of the officer shooting the individual and their expression was of the quality of their lives in, a, in several areas. Uh, police community relations was just one of those areas that citizens of, of color were bearing the brunt of police misconduct on a major scale. But then there were other issues. And uh, we, what we did was we had to decide, well, why were we having civil unrest in the 21st century in our city? And so we did a lot of research and did a lot of work. Uh, we brought the business community and the clergy and the citizens and the government and law We all worked trying to figure it all out. Uh, the first response was poor police community relations was one of the areas that led up to the civil unrest. But we also looked at the fact that we had uh, been ignoring the quality of health 
for our citizens of color in particular, poor people and citizens of color. We knew that there was a difficult issue in terms of them having to choose between buying medicine and buying food. Uh, we also looked at uh, uh, quality education, the access to quality education. Uh, a lot of our inner city schools were, were poorly funded and uh, having to deal with the, that issue. We also looked at, in fact, we had uh, close to 50% of the, uh, of the African-American males uh, doing this unrest were, were, were dropouts from high school. So we knew we had a problem with education simply because it was tied to crime and violence. Uh, we also had uh, a problem with uh, quality affordable housing and uh, safe neighborhoods. That was an issue. And, and fifth, we had the uh, problem with employment. Those five areas were uh, where we really focused our attention. But the foundation for all of that, which was the sixth and final area, the foundation that, that all of this was built on was racism. We were able to determine that. So we had to address each and every one of those areas. And how did we address those was bringing together people and talking about all of these issues. And we, we began to uh, implement methods, methodologies, and, and, and to deal with each one of these. So my question to you, uh, you all, is this. The resolution is basically saying, uh, I should say is the res resolution basically saying that racism is a threat to the quality of health, not only of the people, but of the community you live in. The state you live in, as well as the nation. Uh, the hard work comes when, we, when we've got to look at this, pull back the layers, and figure out what we can do. Uh, because if it's systemic racism, and we believe that it is, and not just what we're saying, I think from corners of our, our city and our state and our nation, then, then there must be structural change, and it's how we get there. Uh, and that you're absolutely correct. It's going to take all of us, all people of goodwill, to look at this issue and recognize, number one, we say it out loud, that this is a issue and that racism uh, is a contributory in a very significant way uh, to our health. Uh, Senator Antonio. Um, can you say a little bit about how racism at this moment in this state of Ohio, because that's where we are, absolutely affects our public health? Let me start off by saying that not everybody, even those people who have been watching what's been happening over the last two weeks, believe that there is racism in America and in Ohio. And can I, I can also say from having personal conversations with a few people that some people who are serving in our legislature do not believe that there is a racism problem. Policies and practices, funding that has been put in place over the years has not been able to correct some of the wrongs that have been done and African-Americans have not been able to catch up. You've talked earlier about infant mortality. We can talk about infant mortality. We can talk about all types of health concerns um, that we have in our community. 
Uh, the fact that people don't even go to the hospital because they're afraid of what might happen, the fact that they might be turned around when they even get there. We've got a lot of calls from people who don't have a copay, so they don't even get seen. Um, but it's not just about health care, it's about every aspect of unequal policies that have taken place. And I think if we get that group together to look at how it's impacting African Americans, um, we will begin to go through every category. And when we had the Community and Policing Task Force several years ago under Governor Kasich that Senator Turner and I asked him to create, uh, we spent an entire six months, nine months going across the state listening to people come in and talk about unequal practices in policing. And you know where most of those things sat? Right in a book. And it's still there today. We put some of those practices in place through an executive order. And slowly but surely, they are being um, stripped out. So um, there's a lot we can do um, with healthcare in a lot of arenas, but I, mean, I think it's bigger than that overall. My next witness slip is for Commissioner Kevin Boyce. My name is Kevin Boyce, and I am a commissioner here in Franklin County. I stand, befo I stand before you this morning on behalf of my colleagues, John O'Grady and Marilyn Brown, in support of Senate Concurrent Resolution 14. We respectfully urge you to support this resolution as both a statement of priorities to the residents of Ohio, and most importantly, as a framework for operationalizing those priorities through state policy as you go forward. Before COVID-19 in Franklin County, there was a pandemic before the pandemic. African Americans were experiencing higher unemployment rates, 11.1% compared to 5.7%, higher poverty rates, 29.9% compared to 16.7%, and disproportionately higher rates of infant mortality, infectious disease, obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. Additionally, the majority of our county jail population is black at nearly 65%. Now, in these extraordinary times of COVID-19, we know these disparities have only further and devastatingly exacerbated, have been further devastatingly and, and exacerbated. Although African-Americans make up only 12% of the population within the county's health jurisdiction, according to the Franklin County Public Health Commission, they make up 25% of COVID-19 infections and nearly 26% of COVID-19 deaths. Franklin County declared racism as a public health crisis on May 19th, but the work and the understanding of the relationship between racism and this data had really begun long before that. While Franklin County continues to be one of the fastest growing counties in the state and perhaps the Midwest, with unemployment rates at historic lows before COVID-19 and an overall vibrant economy, we realize that there is simply a tale of two counties. In one tale, we're the fastest growing, thriving community. And in the other tale, we've left communities far behind. Many with double and even triple unemployment figures that we see elsewhere in our county. In 2018, we decided to double down on our efforts to address this divide with a comprehensive and community-wide approach outlined in our Franklin County Rise Together Blueprint. As we work together to dismantle the generational consequences of shameful chapters in our nation's history and rise to meet the enormous challenges of today, we must acknowledge that racism has existed for over 400 years has always been a crisis and yet remains embedded in our policies, our systems, and most importantly, our communities. 
Let's see, the next witness slip I have is for council member Priscilla Tyson. As a member of Columbus City Council, I'm here to support this resolution. Government at the federal, state, regional, and local level have played a part in creating and maintaining racial inequity. The key to stating that racism is a public health crisis is drawing a line in the sand. It's a declaration. I don't want people to believe that everyone believes that racism exists. And so by just declaring that is significant. A public health crisis is how you live and how you die. How you live and how you die. African Americans are disproportionately impacted by challenges of inequities including the social determinants of health, which consist of housing, crime, incarceration, education, employment, health care, and public safety. The emotional, financial, and health toll has generational implications. In addition, racism has allowed preferential opportunities for some while subjecting people of color to hardships and disadvantages in every area of life. The negative repercussions of historical racism, including but not limited to discriminatory lending, practices of 20th century known as redlining, and the current limitations in access to healthy, nutritious food, reduced life expectancy, increased rates of lead poisoning, limited access to clean water, higher rates of infant mortality, demonstrate the impact of racism. The privileges that other Americans experience inhibits them from fully understanding how racism impacts black people in America. For example, the performance of simple tasks like driving while black, walking in neighborhoods, or just going to the park with certain risks that many people do not experience. Life experiences like getting a job, purchasing a home, buying a car, or just raising a family come with barriers that other cultures do not experience. Black people have been more acutely impacted and aware of racism. However, it has a rippling effect throughout our community and country. So this is not just an issue for black people. I'm gonna say that again. This is not just an issue for black people. It is problematic for America. And so we must be united in addressing this, not only in Columbus, but in the state of Ohio and across this country. My next witness slip is for Senator Tavares. I'm Charlita Tavares, Chief Executive Officer of Primary One Health. The impact of race on health stems largely from differences in access to resources and opportunities that can hurt or enhance health. Additionally, researchers have found that racial and ethnic discrimination can negatively affect health across lifetimes and generations. These health disparities and often the diseases themselves stem in part from the stress of being silenced, ignored, oppressed, and targeted 
for violence, too often by those institutions and individuals entrusted to protect all people. As a former member of the Ohio Senate and this committee, I recall our nationally acclaimed work to address disparities in infant mortality in the 130th through the 132nd General Assemblies with the chair and my former colleague, Senator Shannon Jones. We looked at the factors that were contributing to the abysmal death rates of African black babies and their Caucasian white counterparts, two and a half to three times the rate. The disparities in premature death and disease does, did not stop with African black babies. It is seen throughout the lifespan of African black populations, regardless of social economics, education, and zip code. African black Ohioans and residents of America are dying prematurely and disproportionately because of who they are. African black women, African black woman is 22 percent more likely to die from heart disease than a white woman. African black woman is 71% more likely to die from cervical cancer than a white woman. African black woman is 243% more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth related causes than a white woman. The strongest predictor of health is social economic status or SES. While financial instability is considered the fundamental cause of health disparities, this association between socioeconomic status and health is dependent upon race. As scientists study racial health disparities in depth, a picture begins to emerge that there are bigger, stronger, and more insidious forces at play than economics alone. The psychological stress generated by unfair treatment may trigger a biological series of events that lead to worsened health outcomes in the long term. Repetitive discriminatory encounters can exact a heavy toll. In order to address the root cause of racial health disparities, we need to take an honest look back at previous attempts of the government to care for marginalized minority populations, again cited. We must first acknowledge that effects of structural and institutional racism and, of, and its effects on the, on the health status of African black Ohioans and people of color if we are going to transform and change the trajectory of the inequities in health outcomes. The term structural racism emphasizes the most influ, influential socio-ecologic levels at which racism may affect racial and ethnic uh, inequities. Structural mechanisms do not require the actions or intent of individuals cited. As fundamental causes, they are constantly reconstituting the conditions necessary to ensure their perpetuation. Even if interpersonal discrimination were completely eliminated, racial inequities would likely remain unchanged due to the persistence of structural racism. Mr. Chairman, I believe Senate Concurrent Resolution 14 is a vital and necessary step to start the examination, discussion, and ultimately the development of policies, programs, and resources to undo racism in order to promote the equitable health and well-being of all Ohioans. We cannot contribute to, we cannot con continue to ignore the pain and suffering of those of us who have witnessed experienced and lost loved ones who have died prematurely 
and unnecessarily, simply because it's too hard, will take lots of time, resources, and systems changes, or because it's uncomfortable. We are at a pivotal time in our country's history. The question is, are we going to be on the right side of healthcare justice or simply bury our heads and hearts in the ground and leave another generation to die and suffer? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stated at the Medical Committee for Human Rights held in Chicago, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. I choose to believe that Ohio can lead the nation in, in addressing this life-threatening issue. We can be the first legislature in the country to declare racism as a public health crisis and expeditiously work to tackle its structural and systemic causes. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.